This episode of Boss Level Podcast is sponsored by Go4. Go4 is making the world a better place by digitalizing it and by renewing our ways of working. Go4 is growing, going international, and always hiring. Great Place to Work has selected Go4 as the best place to work in Finland and the second best place to work in all of Europe. Now that's a pretty sure sign that it is the place to be. At Go4, you get to co-create with amazing people using the latest technologies and work on digital services that have a real impact. The company offers a constantly developing community topped with an engaging culture. So go to go4.com, that's G-O-F-O-R-E.com and check out the latest jobs and news. Now is the perfect time. Today, Boss Level is covering one of the biggest problems in the world, poverty. My guest is Lila Jana, who runs two companies aimed at helping the extremely poor by giving them work. One of her companies, Somasource, provides digital work in developing countries, and the other, Luxme, is an organic and fair trade skin care brand employing women. In addition to talking about the businesses, we discuss how companies can measure impact. This interview was recorded at Slush. Enjoy the episode. Your aim is to reduce extreme poverty by giving work. Would that be a good way of describing what you do? Perfect. <laughs> and uh, how do you define extreme poverty? What does that mean, extreme poverty? There's a couple different definitions. Probably the most accepted one is the World Bank standard of under $2.50 a day. Some people use under $1 a day. But if you're living on less than $2.50 a day, that number, by the way, is adjusted for purchasing power. So it's what $2.50 would buy you in the average American city in, I think the last survey was done in maybe 2011. So in other words, it's really very little money. It means you don't have enough to put three meals on the table. You don't have enough to afford basic medical care. You don't have enough to afford basic education. And you're lacking enough money to enjoy basic human rights. And uh, what you try to do is you try to give work. What does what does that mean? How do you give work? So, so often our approach to solving problems like lack of clean drinking water or sanitation or maternal mortality is to address just the problem. We don't really look at what is causing the problem. That the cause of all of these issues is extreme poverty. If you look down, you know, if you look upstream from these issues, it's the lack of household income. So the best way to address poverty and the problems that stem from it is by increasing household income, giving cash. And the best way to get cash to low-income people is through a job. It's giving work. Sounds really obvious, right? Teach a man to fish instead of uh, giving him a fish. In this case, um, we are not only teaching men and women to fish, but we're making sure that they're not fishing in a desert. 
The beauty of digital work, of what we do at Samasource, is that there is a huge new industry in the computer vision space of tagging and annotating images and other types of data, creating metadata for records like videos and images. And there's a huge need for humans to do this work because computers are not yet sophisticated enough to do it. And that's driving many of the algorithms of the future in fields like autonomous vehicles and smart hardware. So you're actually the founder and the CEO of Samasource. That's right. What Samasource does is you tag training data for for uh, artificial intelligence applications and your clients are... Google, Microsoft, LinkedIn, TripAdvisor, Airbus. We work with some of the top firms in the world, including many auto companies, some whose names we can't mention. Um, but what's exciting for our workers is that these are young people. We only hire people who come from very poor backgrounds. So they have to have made less than about $2.50 a day. And that means that these are people who've never had a formal job before. If they had a job, they were selling stuff by the side of the road. They were working in basic agriculture. They were working in a quarry, breaking big rocks into smaller rocks. The transformation that happens when someone like that gets a job behind a computer and when they know that they're part of a technology that's advancing humanity, like self-driving cars, it's just an incredible shift in their mindset and their belief about what's possible. I am sure. And uh, at the moment, like, how many people are you giving work to uh, and where are these people located geographically? We have close to 2,000 full-time workers, and we are now the largest data services company in East Africa. Most of those workers are in Kenya, in Nairobi. They come from slums, and also in Uganda, in Kampala and northern Uganda. In northern Uganda, we're most likely the largest technology employer. It's a region that was known for a really brutal civil war where a warlord named Joseph Kony was abducting child soldiers. Nobody would imagine it's the kind of place where Getty Images is tagging their image database in a facility that we built made out of shipping containers. It's incredibly inspiring. How much of your time do you spend in Kenya or Uganda or any of these locations? So I go about three or four times a year to Kenya and Uganda. My other business, Luxme, also sources raw ingredients from northern Uganda. And it's and a region... And skincare company? Yeah. It's yes. the first fair trade and organic certified brand at all Sephora stores in the U.S., And I started that for the same reason I started Samosource. I wanted to give work instead of giving aid to very low-income people. In that case, the producers of the raw ingredients are women who are almost all war widows from that civil war. And I go back as often as I can, but increasingly, sadly, my job is about being on the road, signing distribution deals, getting investment for the companies, and building the brand to consumers. And uh, why do you feel that it's important to give work instead of charity? So charity in a handout is certainly the easiest thing to do. When we see someone suffering, I feel that we're compelled. Our entire wiring and our evolutionary biology is, is wired towards empathy. That's how we survived as a species. And often we think the most empathetic response is to give something. We see a child suffering, give him some food. We see a community without clean drinking water, build them a well. But often what we think is going to solve the problem might make us feel better and might be a temporary Band-Aid solution. But if you go back to that community 10 years later and you measure the impact of what you did, you're probably better off giving cash. 
And there are now numerous studies that confirm that when a poor community gets an injection of cash, they spend it on all the right things. They know better than we know what's right for their community. It might actually be that they don't need a well. Maybe there's a way they can buy drinking water, but what they actually need is a toilet. Or what they actually need is a school. Or what they actually need are mosquito nets. Or maybe somebody in the village has a really serious health condition that needs medication. We don't know best, they do. And when we give cash, and more importantly, when we give work, which is a longer-term, more sustainable way to give cash, we give agency. And beyond just the cash benefit, we're building skills and we're building dignity and hope for the future, which is really essential in communities that for decades have been told that their only purpose is to receive handouts from wealthy countries in the West. So if, if I look at this from the viewpoint of an individual, it's, it's fairly easy for you to give charity. You can just join an organization in your home country and start giving money to them on a monthly basis. And uh, then again, if you want to give work, what are your ways of doing this as an individual? This is a great question. So I encourage everyone, when you're thinking about giving back, it's almost Christmas time. Many of us are giving holiday gifts. We just passed Giving Tuesday when many people made donations. The best way to give back is to give work. And there are so many amazing products and services that are delivered by social enterprises that give work. In fact, we've put them together in a database at givework.org slash guide. But if you just go to givework.org, you can see a database of over 2,000 companies that sell everything from fair trade and organic cotton t-shirts to chocolate to coffee to gifts to candles, you name it, who are listed on that website. And even looking for fair trade handicrafts. If you're spending a few hundred dollars for Christmas time gifts for your friends and family, that money means a lot. That money is more than the annual salary for a very poor person. So you could literally help move someone out of poverty by purchasing from them. People are asking with everything that's happening with women around the world and this huge number of scandals that are emerging across Silicon Valley and Hollywood around sexual harassment, what they can do. Well, I think the best thing we can do to help women is to buy from women. If we're spending money, our values are reflected in how we're spending that money. We can buy from women-owned companies. We can buy from brands and from platforms that employ artisanal producers in developing countries who are by and large poor women. If if you were able to lift someone out of extreme poverty, what happens then? So basically what I'm asking is like, what's their path after they worked on labeling training data for a few years, let's say? So we find that our workers naturally migrate to higher paying work. Um, and often in the digital economy or using the skills they earned, they learned at Samasource. Um, we see many of them setting up their own businesses. We have several workers who've set up agencies on a platform called Upwork, where they do content writing and other virtual assistant type services for international companies. Many of our workers will get jobs in the formal sector. I just reconnected with one who was an orphan who came from a slum in Kenya, was down the path of extreme poverty. Many girls in her situation are forced to become sex workers in the slum. Instead, she got a job at Samosource. Now she is in marketing at a um, travel agency in Nairobi that's based on online booking. So there's lots of jobs available to people who qualify for them. The challenge for most people who come from slums is that they're invisible to those formal jobs. There's no sort of stepping stone or path into the formal economy, and that's what we offer. That's really, really great. Um, 
One of the really interesting things about the work your companies do is that you can't only measure financial returns. That doesn't really make sense. You have to measure impact. So how can that be done? How can a company measure impact? So we approach impact measurement just like we approach financial performance and measurement. In fact, our impact team rolls up into our CFO. So I had impact reporting into the CFO because I want my impact numbers to be treated the same way we treat our financials, get audited every year, get published every quarter, and our CFO maintains that. I think it's a really cool system because we show both sets of results every quarter in our quarterly P&L and, and statements. Um, we also hired an impact auditing firm. There's now such a thing as an impact audit. So a third party that will come in and validate whether what you say and publish on your website is true. And I think that's so important. In fact, in the U.S., any nonprofit that's over $2 million in annual revenue has to undergo a financial audit every year um, per IRS re regulations. To me, it is shocking that we don't require an impact audit. It's much more important to me to know whether the impact and the outcomes are there if I'm a donor than how much money the nonprofit is spending on sodas or employee salaries. That's less important to me than the dollar per outcome ratio. And that's very like that's a really good point because like if we don't see the numbers on the impact, it is so much easier for us to start focusing on like irrelevant costs because that that's something that we can see. We can see the numbers, but if we can't see the numbers on the impact, then then it's just so much easier to try to optimize the cost. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if an existing for-profit company would want to also start measuring impact, any ideas on like how to get started? Absolutely. We actually have an advisory group at Salmasource that's helped companies measure the social impact of their supply chains. And what we focus on is if you're making something in a developing country or you're using a factory in a developing country, you are probably moving people out of poverty, assuming that you're doing that you're a good business person and you're behaving ethically. If you're paying living wages in a poor country to a group of people, you are a force for poverty reduction. I really think that more companies need to be open and transparent about how they do that sourcing and share with their employees the stories of the people who work in those factories. Often they're really good stories. We're helping a company called Flextronics do this, and we're also in discussions with a few other tech firms that produce electronics overseas that have taken a lot of steps to make their supply chains sustainable and responsible. And I think that telling those stories is great, not just for consumers, but especially for employees of those companies who don't necessarily imagine that just by paying living wages in a developing country, they're making a difference. And uh, just let's delve a little deeper into this, uh, into this, like how to measure impact, like if we talk about soma source, how do you actually like when we go down to the details, how do you measure impact? What are the process or what do you actually look at? Where, where do the numbers come from? Sure. The primary metric we look at is poverty. So we look at people's household income in a place like Kenya. If you're living on less than a few dollars a day, you're part of the informal economy. So it's not so easy to determine what your income is. Because your income might come in the form of cash, but it may also come in the form of 
products that you make. You might be a subsistence farmer growing vegetables, so your income is going to be partly determined on your based on your assets. You might trade vegetables for new a new roof, for example. So the way that poverty surveys are done for people at that income level is typically using household surveys that correlate certain assets in the home to an income level. And this is a methodology that was developed by the World Bank and uh, a microfinance institution called Grameen. So we use a variety of those tools. Basically, we determine someone's pre-SAMA income, their at-SAMA income when they're working for us, and their post-SAMA income. At a minimum, we pay living wages based on a local standard. Um, There's a third party that's produced something called the Fair Wage Guide. It's a guide to living wages in every country in the world, both in a rural and an urban setting. And then after that, we look at what people spend their money on. So we look at how their income has changed. Again, on average, we move people from about $2.50 a day to over $8 a day. And if you measure, if you go and check our workers three years after they've left Samosaurus, you'll find that they are still earning at or above that $8 a day level. In certain regions like Nairobi, we move them to over $16 a day. So can you imagine that's an eightfold income increase, which means a dramatic difference in your quality of life. We track what people are eating. So we actually see their diets change, moving from sugarcane to healthy fruits and vegetables and proteins. We see them get health insurance. We see them send their kids to school and save for their own education. It's a life-changing difference. And uh, closing off, we're starting to near the end of the interview, but What's your motivation for all of this? Because it's like, I think like people have several paths that they can take in life. And what are the reasons why you are on this very interesting path? I don't know if I could be on any other path. I think after you see firsthand what it's like to live on $2 a day, you realize that this is something that no human being should be forced to endure in 2017. I don't think I could sleep at night if I weren't working on this problem. I'm also really optimistic because each day I see a huge change in the number of people we're able to reach in growth in the social enterprise sector. The Netherlands just made social enterprise part of their national strategy. Things are changing. We're living in such a different world than we did when I was born. And I'm just excited to be on the right side of history. (laughs) (laughs) That's really great. So uh, if people want to learn more about the work that you do, what's, uh, what's a good way of looking into it? Probably the best way is to follow me, um, to go to lilajana.com and where you can sign up for my newsletter or just follow me on Facebook at lilajana or on Twitter or LinkedIn. I post a lot and try to share the story and I share it in my newsletter really often as well. And the last is to check out the book at givework.org. Um, my book just came out about a month ago and there's an audio version and it really tells a story of how I built these two social enterprises and more importantly, what you can do if you're an entrepreneur looking to build social enterprise into your existing company, or if you want to grow a social or environmental focused company in the future. And I really think that the biggest problems in the world are not going to be solved through philanthropy. They're going to be solved through young people starting businesses differently than the businesses of the past. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Sammy.
This episode of Bossable Podcast is sponsored by Agile 42. Agile 42 challenges, trains, and coaches both small and big organizations to achieve better outcomes and be better prepared for a changing world. Agile 42 helps companies become resilient. It is all about creating a culture of continuous improvement. A culture where people communicate openly, where teams collaborate and managers give their employees a lot of autonomy, where people strive for growth. The Agile 42 teams, based in 10 countries, are here to support your business and make the bumps along the way smoother. Go to Agile42.com and start your Agile journey.